0: Born to two South Asian immigrants, she has over 20 years of psychotherapeutic and research experience in cultural identity formation and preservation. Her book titled Exploring Immigrants and Sexual Minority Mental Health is currently being taught at Ottawa University and is the basis of her Therapy based on Ottawa with practitioners across different provinces in Canada. My guest this week is Dr. Pavna Sudhi, and she will talk about the impact of COVID on immigrants' mental health. Since awareness is only a part of the solution, she shares many tips for you and me to manage our stress and feel more connected in this very disconnected and lonely world. She even tells us what she does to manage her own stress as an expert. So go ahead, grab your cup of tea, and join me in this episode of Empowering Conversations. Hello and welcome to the Empowering Conversations podcast, a place to get inspired, challenged, and empowered by stories of immigrants who build their success from zero. I'm your host Mehran. So if I may ask,
1: mm-hmm.
0: why, why did you start doing what you're doing? Was there any personal pain associated with it or this area was just exciting?
1: Um, being raised in um, Halifax, Nova Scotia by my two immigrant parents, um, they allowed us or afforded us the opportunity to really um, have a rich Uh, bicultural upbringing. So not only did we have the benefits of being connected with um, our community, we also had the opportunity to be integrated nicely into the uh, host culture. So I am just fascinated by the fact that they were able to maintain this. So it was not only through community membership where we learned about the culture, the religion and language. I'm of Punjabi, Sikh descent. So all three are kind of intertwined. Um, But they also made the effort to go back to India almost every year, every second year throughout my childhood. And if we didn't go with them, they went and they would come back and share their, their stories with us about the family. So we were very, very well connected with our extended family. I also have to credit my grandmother Um, my maternal grandmother, who I called Biji, And she also was very instrumental in the whole cultural preservation piece uh, in terms of language. So during my generation, we didn't have email. We didn't, we barely had long distance plans. So everything was done through very, very traditional snail mail letters. So here I am writing in my very, very broken Punjabi language, my Gurmukhi, letters to my grandmother and she's writing back to me. So there was a very, very deep connection there. She also requested every time we visited to sing religious hymns. So the motivation came from there that every time I would visit every summer, every day, I would sing two religious hymns to her. So there was a lot of that happening. I mean, I can get very emotional speaking about her, It was a huge loss when she passed away, when both my maternal grandparents passed away. But, you know, I am so grateful that my parents made the effort to take us back so many times so that we could learn about the culture. So we learned about the culture in a very bicultural context in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And then we went back to India various times throughout our lifetime to watch it evolve. And so that's where the fascination came from is that a lot of times, immigrants, you know, sometimes they go back to their, to their ancestral country and sometimes they don't go back as often and they don't watch it evolve. And what happens there is that whatever they left with, whatever, whatever cultural traditions, beliefs and values that they left with are sometimes transmitted to their children, but they might be outdated. So that's where my, my research emerged
0: from. That's pretty neat. I have to say, what you were saying really resonated because I wasn't able to go back about seven years post my immigration, not because I didn't choose to, but because I couldn't go. And then the next time was three years later. So there was a 10 year gap, I could say. And after that, once I had my child, I go more regularly. Every other year I try to go and visit, but I do feel that disconnect with my family back in Iran. Um, I feel many times that I'm stuck, you know, in the time that I left, not not stuck, Mm -hmm. stuck is not the right word, but I feel like I didn't evolve with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now let's get to the post that caught my attention and make this interaction and this podcast happen. It was about COVID and how the immigrants are feeling during these holidays, the loss of family, among many other losses that they have felt. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what made you write it? Because it was very heartfelt.
1: Yeah, so, you know, my intention around that post was immigrants and PTSD, and then I I think it was leading up to the holidays. And, you know, again, culturally, we have so many holidays throughout the fall, but then it was now Christmas season. So in our household, we celebrate both. And typically we celebrate with family. Well, since COVID has struck, um, I have not seen my family. Like I haven't seen anybody, my brother, my sister, um, my parents, I haven't seen them for over a year. That's kind of what, brought this post on was that I was starting to kind of understand, like I said in my post, how my parents felt when they didn't go to India. Um, They tried to go regularly, but then there were kind of times where they couldn't go, where there was, you know, there was, it wasn't safe. You know, it just wasn't safe to go or, you know, they migrated back to Canada and they to reestablish themselves. So there were there were breaks in between. So starting to understand how it felt, you know, that yearning that they needed to see their family. And from there, I was just overwhelmed and I was feeling, oh, my goodness, this is like a huge loss. This is actually this could be considered traumatic, (laughs) you know, and what do we do with that? What would we do with even the collective trauma that we're feeling as immigrants, um, second generation immigrants or first generation immigrants, not being able to go back to our ancestral country, or even for me to even fly an hour and a half to my parents in, in Halifax. So that's really what brought it on. And I reflected on it and thought, you know, this is something that's also very common within my practice too. I have clients who are talking about loss and particularly my you know, my immigrant clients who talk about loss of not being with family, missing out on different um, events, feeling like they are never going to see their family again. There's all these different kind of catastrophic thoughts that are even emerging as a result of COVID because COVID's been so unpredictable. And what we have been exposed to through COVID has not really helped with our self-confidence and our ability to be resilient. So that's basically how how that post emerged. Um, And from there, again, it was, you know, thinking about strategies to kind
0: of improve that. As Pavna pointed out, COVID has impacted all of us in unpredictable ways. Research has shown high rates of anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, psychological distress, and of course, increased stress in the general population. And that's across eight countries. And who was impacted the most? Women, people younger than 40 years of age, those who lost a job, students, those who had prior chronic or psychiatric illnesses. And the last one, frequent users of social media, or news concerning COVID. If you are one of those people, make sure you listen and pay special attention to many suggestions that have not provided us. And in addition, reduce your consumption of social media and news regarding COVID. There's only so much information out there for you. The rest can just be marketing traps to make you consume more media. And that's true. I mean, as an immigrant, I told you that for the first seven years, I wasn't able to see my family. And then another three years afterwards. And even though I felt all those losses, Mm -hmm. COVID was just a new layer. Every time my mom called, I made sure that I pick up the phone because I was worried, right? A lot of the video calls, I just took a picture And it gets me emotional, but I was like, what if, right? I won't know. I won't be able to be there with them and for them. And I knew leaving the country, that was something that could happen. But COVID just made it more probable now than ever before. I felt it. So what are some suggestions that you give someone like me and your clients? What can they do?
1: Yes. I mean, it really depends. And, you know, again, I'm sorry that you're, you're going through that. Right. And, you know, I think it's, it's common to feel that the what ifs um, around not seeing family again. And, um, you know, you mentioned the whole taking pictures. I do that as well. I don't think I've FaceTimed as much with my parents as I have this year. Um, And, you know, all I am thinking is fingers crossed, I will be able to see them sooner than later. But that being said, just in terms of coping and something that I actually engage in as well, because, you know, even though I provide therapy, I also do a bit of therapy on myself too, when I'm feeling overwhelmed. And if there's anything that has, that has overwhelmed me this past year is just that COVID has been very unpredictable and very sudden. It's just been inconsistent in terms of the curfews, the lockdowns, the stay at home um state of emergencies all of that throughout the country so it's really really important i think when i work with my clients just around this and just around loss is to do some reframing and also some cognitive restructuring so when i say cognitive restructuring i mean you know taking a negative thought or a statement and putting a positive spin to it okay Um, From there, we also look at grounding techniques. So I'm not too sure if if, uh, listeners would be familiar with that, but it's basically to help them feel connected to the outside world again. Okay. To feel like they have control because that's another thing that happens when we're feeling overwhelmed. We typically use these techniques when we're working with clients who are experiencing trauma, but we're, we are actually experiencing trauma as a result of COVID. So this is why I've used this kind of these techniques to kind of at least allow clients to feel grounded, to feel whole again, and to be able to think rationally. So that's where we're going with that. The last thing I do, or one of the last things I do, is to make sure that clients um, are fulfilling self-care practices. So that can come in a very in a variety of shapes and forms, we have, you know, um, emotional self care, we have practical self care, we have physical self care, we have intellectual self care, there's a variety um, of self care practices out there. And so as long as they're doing that, that too is really helpful. So when I talk about things like even intellectual self-care, that could be reading a book or puzzling, which has become very popular right now um, during COVID. Well, puzzling has. I mean, puzzling has always been a very good grounding technique, but it's also good for self-care as well. Then there's the intellectual um, self-care of learning new languages. We are so fortunate to have like apps like Duolingo um, where we can Learn languages, so I, I know some clients are even improving that. Um, and then there's the physical self-care, going for walks, running. Um, there's spiritual self-care, where we're doing yoga, meditation. And then emotional self-care could involve journaling as well as therapy. So kind of engaging in different types of self-care is very, very important. And I think after that, we look at resiliency. So resiliency training in my world and what I, how I define it to my clients basically involves reducing one's anxiety levels and improving their self-confidence so that they're able to see the world clearly and they're able to think rationally. This is where I help the clients to kind of become more resilient through these times. So it has been very, very effective so far. Um, Again, I use these techniques on myself every time I'm thinking, okay, when's the next time I'm going to see my parents? What can I do? Or when is it going to be my turn to get the vaccine, right? Because that's even up in the air, gets pushed back often. You know, when are they going to open up the borders to different provinces? (laughs) Like, there's lots of different questions that seem to, to emerge during these times. So all of these techniques certainly help
0: can you provide us with some example, something that the listeners can do DIY besides the practices that you gave us? So for example, I have a thought that comes to my mind and I take a snapshot of my parents on a face chat, right? What, how do I reframe it? What do I do to get out of this negative thought that just happened to me?
1: So like a, 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 let's call it a distorted thought or a rational thought is I'm never going to see my parents again. Okay, so that is something that comes up frequently in practice. And I basically ask the clients to kind of put a positive spin on it. So once things are manageable with COVID, I will have the opportunity to see my parents. I have to be patient and with the process and wait for people to be vaccinated in order to see them. So there's a bit of that where you have to kind of shift the way you're thinking about things. And that's what we do with reframing, right? We try to shift how we're thinking about certain things. Or you can use the picture and say, this is a reminder of when I'm going to see my parents are, again, I had an opportunity to have a FaceTime call with them. Thank God I, there's FaceTime nowadays. So there's different ways of looking at it so that you have a more positive kind of perspective on what you're thinking.
0: Mm-hmm. I really like how you pointed out the the positive of having these FaceTime opportunities. Right. I mean this is not something that was existent you know, 20 20 years ago, right? Not at you know not freely at least to all of us. Yeah. What are some other ways that uh, you think would be helpful to immigrants? Yeah,
1: I think I think I covered it with the self, self-care self practices. Yeah. Um, I think that's where we're at in this. It's not about kind of exploring their past and rewriting their narrative. And, you know, it's staying connected, right? So we have to stay connected. Um, and that's where I'm going with the more multicultural piece is how do we stay connected? You know, you talked about Zoom and thank... Thankfully we have Zoom Um, and you're absolutely right. Like even five years ago, Zoom wasn't in existence. We had Skype and Skype was not ideal. Um, It was glitchy. So we're fortunate that we have Zoom and we're able to stay connected. So this is kind of what I encourage as well with my clients as I say, stay connected with your friends visually. The phone is fine. I guess, when we're driving, maybe, and we have no other option to be, can't be on FaceTime while you're driving, um, or Google Hangouts, or Zoom, or whatever platform you choose to use. So it's staying connected visually, so that you get to see the person. And this is what I explained to my parents, because my mom, you know, she's, God love her, she's 81 years old, my dad is, you know, um, turning, oh my goodness, he's turning 88 this year. And they, they, they are adapting to FaceTime and, you know, my mom, you know, constantly says, you know, I just, I don't really feel that comfortable using FaceTime. You know, I don't really want to look at myself while I'm looking at you. And I go, but I want to look at you. I want to look at you and take my pictures, you know, (laughs) Like, like, this is what it is. I want to look at you. My kids want to look at them. They want to, you know, they want to be able to see their grandparents because they miss them. So visual, I think visual connections are very important, very important. And so that's what we do. And we try to have, you know, and something again, in my family, we try to have, you know, any kind of milestone, any kind of holiday, we all get together, our family, which is, you know, 15 of us, my siblings and their children and their partners and whoever else. And then my grand and, and then the grandparents, of course, my, um, my parents, and we try to have these events. Um, where we where we meet and we talk and connect. And we do that. And we've been playing, you know, different games on, um, I think there's like different platforms like house party and that, um, you know, card games and, and such. But that's what that's basically what I also recommend. A lot of us are missing what we once used to do pre COVID. And that basically involved frequenting these Uh, places called third places. I don't know if you're familiar with the term or not. But there is first place is being at home. Second place is being at work. And third place would be going to venues such as gyms or shopping malls or coffee shops, um, movie theaters. And they were places where you can congregate and meet with friends. So a lot of what my clients are dealing with are, is the loss of that. I have recently too, sometimes I'm sitting here in my office, and I'm thinking about life pre-COVID. And I'm a very extroverted person. And I think about it. And sometimes I I have what I call flashbacks of what I did pre-COVID. So whether it was like going to restaurants with friends, um, which is, you know, now banned where I'm living, going shopping with friends, going out, just, you know, going even just having the freedom to go out without it being so planned, is really, really been hard on the soul. So again, with that, that need to stay connected is so, so important, staying connected with people, because I think if we stay, the more connected we stay with people, the less alone we feel. Mm -hmm. And to carve out that time, in your self-care practices to stay connected with people. That would be kind of one of my key suggestions because we are not able to go to these third places anymore. Mm.
0: Staying connected was one of the key suggestions Pavna provided us to manage the emotional burden COVID imposed on us especially for us immigrants who come from collective cultures in a minute she will tell us more about the role of our collective cultures but out of curiosity how do you stay connected with your family and friends are you utilizing the technology to the fullest if not go ahead explore this option and see how it can change your mood you can get together with your friends and family and celebrate special events virtually. Play games with them and take a snapshot of the moments so that you can tell your grandchildren about this in future. And yes, we know virtual events will never be the same as in-person ones. But remember, we are trying to make lemonade out of the lemons life has tossed us. And it is our choice to add our own sugar and water and make a lemonade or cringe at the sight of the lemon. Most immigrants come from collective cultures, especially like your expertise is South Asians, right? They come from collective cultures and now they might be feeling an added level of stress because they have to be by themselves. They have to be isolated. How much of the stress is coming from that,
1: you think? I think I think there is that. I mean, there is, and, we, and I've talked about it on Instagram. I, I did a collaboration with one of my Instagram peers. Um, and we talked about that as well in terms of feelings of inadequacy and isolation um, and loneliness um, and fear and guilt. And all those things kind of come into play as well. When I think about it, Collectivistically, there is maybe that guilt of not being with family and not being able to take care of family. You kind of had mentioned that as well, to not being able to go back and to be there for your for your parents. I feel it as as well. Like I usually go and visit my parents almost every every two months, or they come up and visit me. So there's a lot of that that happens. Um, I also think on a cultural level too, that intergenerational cultural in person cultural preservation is also not happening. So that's a piece that needs to be acknowledged. Um, there's guilt about um, not being together. Um, there's loneliness of not being together. I mean, it really kind of go, boils back to that togetherness piece and not having that. So those things are kind of put on hold. But like I said, with technology, it's not, it's not, like a, it's not a replacement, but it's an option. So we need to kind of take full advantage of the fact that we have this here and that we're able to stay connected with our, with our families. Right.
0: Yeah. Doing the best we can at this time. Yeah, exactly. One of the strategies for uh, maintaining our stress was, and you mentioned it um, among the self-care practices was therapy. However, what I see is that, at least in my community, there is this stigma around mental health care and you know, seeking help from someone whose expertise is that. And added to it is this resilience that immigrants have and their incredible level of tolerance, which in many ways help them, but I think in this area it's actually um, destructive. What is the signal that that should encourage someone to seek help?
1: Um, so I think it, it goes back to having distorted thinking, um, low mood, like significantly low mood, feelings of hopelessness and helplessness, um, feeling inadequate, all of those things kind of play into it. Um, on a cultural level, All of that may be considered weaknesses, but really those are the the cues to seek counseling. So when I think about immigrant first generation, second generation immigrants who've reached out to me for counseling, they got to a point where they realized that they just weren't able to cope anymore. And it was starting to affect their daily life. It was starting to affect the way they interacted with each other. It started to affect how they were sleeping. It was affecting their appetite. All these things that we talked about, whether it's mood disorders like depression or anxiety, feelings of inadequacy, PTSD, you know, stress management, you know, workplace bullying, whatever it is that they're experiencing, all impacts those those things that are not going to allow them to function properly in their in their daily life. So that this is kind of where you have to monitor it, you know, and if it's sometimes we have off days, we have days where it's just like, okay, I'm having a bad day, I didn't sleep properly the night before, and therefore my appetite's all off and, and you know, I'm not thinking um, clearly and then you're fine the next day because you've had a good night's sleep. Okay. Or you have a deadline and you're, you know, you're stressed out about it, but then, you know, the days following the the, the submission of a deliverable, you're, you're fine. It's when it becomes chronic, it becomes chronic or it becomes to the point where um, it's like every second day or it becomes, you know, three times a week and then it becomes every day. And then, and then that's where, it's time to kind of explore therapeutic options, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people, what they do is they try to kind of reevaluate lifestyle. Can they improve their appetite, sleep hygiene, and exercise? But what happens is that even that's not enough, right? And then they engage in self care practices. Sometimes it's through journaling. So I know individuals who journal a lot before they even consider seeking counseling. So a part of it is, is kind of understanding that these are steps towards it. If they're not mitigating or reducing this decrease in um, wellness, then it's time to kind of look elsewhere to talk to somebody about it, because it's, it's like going to a doctor. You can only, you can only endure the pain, the internal pain for so much. And then if you don't do anything, if it continues, you need to go and get some, get some professional help. So this is kind of the
0: analogy. Uh, beside your book, that I will provide the link in the show notes for our audience to check it out, what are some other books that you think is a good read for immigrants, especially during COVID?
1: So I'm, I'm typically not a huge fan of self-help books. And I have found as a result of writing a book for immigrants that there is not much out there um, that helps them with these, you know, basic stress management, anxiety reduction, um, reducing depress- depression related symptoms. So my, my um, suggestion is more just around um, workbooks if that's, An option so there are books out there around anger management and there's the um stress um stress management and reduction workbook um there is an anxiety um, and phobia workbook as well so it would be mostly around um workbooks and not so much around like reading books um, Mm. or self-help books there's a dialectical behavioral therapy workbook as well, that uh, has a very kind of spiritual spin on it. Um, and it is also good to deal with symptoms of trauma. So the issue with uh, self-help books and, and immigrants is that it's written in a, in a language that not every immigrant is going to understand. And also, they're not going to feel as engaged with the material. So I seldom um, suggest self-help books to my immigrant um, or BIPOC clients. Um, and with the workbooks, there is the fear because it's, it's tr- there's activities and there's exercises. There's this fear of writing down responses in a in a workbook where it could be it could be seen. So there is not that much in terms of, of material out there um, that I would recommend to, to my um, immigrant populations.
0: Mm. And you mentioned this fear of um, someone finding it out. What are some ways that they could still utilize part of this, right, or journal?
1: So I have um, clients who would actually write uh, emails to themselves mm. or things in draft mode. So that's how they maintained it. They didn't even keep it on their desktop. They didn't keep it as a Word doc, nothing. They just actually, like, they would write messages to themselves. So that way, nobody could find out what they're thinking and what they're feeling. Workbooks, I mean, I think about an idea now, if, if I was to go back into a physical office and even suggest a workbook, is that the workbook could be Um, kept in my office like the work can be done during the session time and then the workbook could be kept in with their file Um, but what I typically do is give like I send electronic handouts or give paper handouts and um clients seem to be happy with that like it's just kind of uh, more specific and geared towards the issue that they're presenting so
0: it's been very informative as I expected it to be and um Looking forward to having you on the show again, hopefully soon.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure speaking uh, about all these topics.
0: What was your takeaway? What form of self-care will you add to your schedule this week and perhaps the weeks after? You know, many times we'll listen to a book, to a podcast, to a lecture, and we learn something. But unless we take the time to implement the teachings, nothing happens. We will continue living the exact same life, feeling the exact same level of stress. For that, I invite you to take a few moments, unless you're driving, of course. And jot down three things you will do for the next two weeks to improve your mood and avoid falling victim to anxiety, PTSD, depression, etc. Try it. Try it and let us know how it worked for you. Here is the long list of choices offered by Pavna. Reading a book. Puzzling. Taking a hobby. Learning a new language. Going for a walk. Running. Yoga. Meditation, journaling, reframing, virtual connection, virtual games, or therapy. Remember, if you have been feeling down for long periods of time, seek help. Even doctors go to doctors to seek help. As always, thank you for listening and sharing this episode of Empowering Conversations with your immigrant friends who are feeling low right now anywhere in the world. Until the next episode of Empowering Conversations on 15th, stay home, stay safe, and take very good care of yourself.